Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful for the opportunity to be reminded of your, your beauty, reminded of your love. Lord, allow your word to speak to us. Let it pierce through the distractions. Let it calm our hearts and uh, place us at ease as we think about just how much you love us and what you achieved for our sake. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It was about about 1990. Um, I'm a, a little scrawny kid that's uh, uh, my parents blessed me and allowed me to watch this show called In Living Color. I probably was about 10, 11. Uh, no, actually, I was about 13. Um, it, it was a show called In Living Color. It was a, a, a kind of comedy sketch with all these different uh, actresses and actors and comedians, and they would do these like cool, hilarious type things. And there was this one guy named uh, Tommy Davison, scrawny dude, little, but he was just hilarious. And he reminded me of myself, actually. I was a scrawny little dude um, growing up. And so uh, I was listening to an interview that he did, and uh, his interview kind of blew me away and even helped me understand. Uh, Christ during this season. He said that uh, he was adopted, that uh, he was adopted when he was about 18 months old, but that his adopted mother actually found him while walking. She said a voice told her to look behind a garbage can, behind a tire, and she saw his infant foot. This woman took him began caring for him and was able to finalize it 18 months later. But she cared for him like he was her own. And this woman, she was white. Uh, she had two white children already. And uh, he was raised in, a, in an environment where he clearly stood out. Now, a couple of things kind of jumped to my mind as I was hearing his story because he said they moved from Colorado to Oregon and then they moved to D.C., and this was right around the time of uh, the height of the civil rights era. And so uh, his white mom now has a black child in Oregon. You already know the type of drama she's probably getting. But then they moved to D.C. And they moved to D.C. two days before Dr. King is killed. And so their D.C. experience is troubling because now where maybe before they got all types of flack from whites, now he said clearly they were fighting a lot. They were getting all types of flack from blacks. And he said that he kind of stumbled into comedy. This dude who became like sought after during his era. I mean, he was pretty big. He was big as he was. He was one of the bigger names. And so he um he said that he stumbled into comedy because while telling jokes, he was able to feel a sense of peace from feeling alone. Even though he was raised in a stable family with a mom that loved him, two siblings, there still was this kind of alone feeling. And that telling comedy was a time when 
when he didn't feel alone. And that even into his height of success with money, cars, clothes, movie, notoriety, whatever you name it, he still had a sense of feeling alone. I was shocked by that because you would not think that from someone deemed successful. Today, as we as we dive into our scriptures, we're going to take a, a look into someone that the world might deem successful. But this person deems their success as uh, just one thing that they can use as a tool to glorify God. But in doing so, this person helps elevate Jesus's purpose and Jesus's plan. And so if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 19, where we're going to hear a story about a man named Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. You're going to understand how, how, how Christ cares for us and helps us through maybe what may feel like we are alone. Hear, 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 hear. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all grumbled. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. A little understanding, a little, a little bit of background. Our brother uh, Zacchaeus, uh, he's a, a, a tax collector and tax collectors back in that day were kind of like the mob. Like imagine the mob. The mob is going to come through. They're going to say, hey, we expect to get a payment from you. But as long as you keep paying us, we'll show you a little protection. That's what's happening in the Roman era. The tax collectors collected for the Roman guards, for the Roman authorities, for the Roman government. But what they would do is say a little bit for for Caesar, a little bit for Rome and a little bit to pad our pockets. And so when you saw him coming, you were you were frustrated. You hated these men because you couldn't challenge them, because what would they say? They would just say simply, oh, you're not going to pay the king. So you had to pay up and they would make their profits off of adding on top of yours. And so this is a role that was not liked, 
despised. This is a job title where just because you have that title, people assume certain things of you right off the bat. That you a shark, a swindler, a hustler. And so when these men see this man who says he's a the the he's the God of this of this world, when they see this Jesus and they're saying this Jesus has done miracles and he's supposed to be all this and all that. Does he not even know who he's hanging with? Does he does he not even recognize that this dude is one of the scum of the earth? And we see this posture of Zacchaeus, this posture where Zacchaeus is saying, look, I'm not measuring up. And so in order to see this God that is coming down the street, in order to see this Jesus, I need to go get to a vantage point where I can see him. And in doing so, he and Jesus make eye contact. And Jesus says, come on down. I'm coming to your house. Come on down. I'm coming to your place. And so we see, first off, this man Zacchaeus is 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 in a role where he would be judged daily. And second, we see the people judging him accordingly, because to some degree, they see him as being written off. If Jesus would go anywhere, why go to him? We see already that you can be marginalized even with wealth. You can be an outcast, not liked, played to the side, even with money. What should look like a man who's actually balling out and having the joy of his life seems like a man pushed to the outskirts. Some people understand that. Some people know what it feels like to be marginalized. Maybe you don't have money. but Maybe you've been the end of that finger. The finger pointed at you for what you don't have or for how you stand out. And so they see this man as a sinner. And Jesus says, says something to him. He says to him. Today, salvation has come to this house. He says that because something seems to happen in this man. This man, before he met Jesus, could have gone back and done a couple of things. He could have done everything that he's mentioned here, right? He could have knowingly having hustled people, gone back and said, you know what? Let me do right by folks. Let me quit taking extra money. Let me quit dipping in a check. Let me go ahead. And now make things right. But it's after an experience where he is, where does it say in verse uh, three, after an experience where he is seeking Jesus, that he begins to realize in following Jesus, I've got to make amends. That to follow Jesus, there's some type of action that follows along with that. To follow Jesus means to live a certain lifestyle. And so if that means it comes at a cost, if that means that it comes at an expense, I'm willing to shore up the books, pay anybody that I owe. And if I did them wrong, I give them fourfold. Look at the way. That that salvation, that that responding to Jesus, not only is something that's mental, but it actually moves him to action. But we but I bring up this point. Because we see a bit of brokenness here. 
we see that even though the arrogance of the Jews that are talking about this man is all wrong and they are, who are they to just start pointing fingers and call somebody else a sinner? They're right. I mean, he is a sinner. He is one that was known for taking advantage of people. He does have wealth and we don't have all the proof, but the assumption is still that he got his wealth from tax collecting, from hustling, from taking advantage. And so as he's saying, find a person who I've done wrong and I'll shore it up. It's almost saying, I know I've done some people wrong and I want to make it right. He was a sinner. And so was the men that were pointing their fingers at him. He, they, they were sinners too, but they didn't realize their sin. And that is where you and I enter into this story because we see Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus kind of has this, this 180 moment where he switches from one way. Now I'm living for Jesus way. And there's this big adjustment that happens, but Jesus declares who he is here to care for exactly who they say Zacchaeus is. Look in verse 10. It's simple. You, you read past it, you would gloss over it. But he says it simply for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost. To seek and to save the lost. See, Zacchaeus was lost because of his behavior previous to Jesus. Zacchaeus was lost because maybe he was in an environment where where hustling in this way was the norm. And he grew up maybe the son of another tax collector. We don't know. We don't know if he learned this or if he grew up in the ranks. We don't know. What we do know is that he's deemed a sinner. And that Jesus says, and he's exactly who I'm seeking, exactly who I desire, exactly who is lost, but can now be found. And so we see this Jesus actually stating his purpose after having an experience with a man that would have been written off by the larger community as someone you don't even kick it with, let alone go to their house. Jesus modeling that the marginalized and though you don't have to be in his situation I imagine that everybody has a story of feeling marginalized this man is is lost he's a sinner but he's exactly who Jesus is coming to care for but, but Zacchaeus puts us in, a, in an interesting position because what Jesus is coming to do is take the, the wrong life that Zacchaeus is living and make it right. He's coming to take a person that's lost, make them found, a person that is seeking and allow them to experience him. Jesus is coming so that the folks that are seeking need seek no more. And so they say he's a sinner. 
But now the question is, what does that mean? Because for you and I, if if Zacchaeus's experience is something that happened back then, then we can write ourselves off as doing all right. We can actually write ourselves off as not being as bad as Zacchaeus. We can write ourselves off as, you know, that was back in the day the way they behaved. Well, let's 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 unpack then what it means to sin. Let's unpack when Jesus is when they're declaring this man a sinner and Jesus is saying that. And that's exactly who I'm looking for. I'm coming for the lost. I'm coming for sinners. That is who I am seeking out. How is that defined in the, in the, in the Gospels? Because I want to I want to say clearly. Jesus goes to the cross. For the sake of sinners. He clearly says. I'm here to seek and save the lost. And that saving of the lost happens at the cross. And so turn with me. I'm going to I'm going to try to just give you four examples. Four examples of sin. Of how sin is described because sin is 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 one word. But the Bible actually uses about 11 ways to describe it, because sometimes when we don't hear a definition that we feel like resonates with us, we think we good. Oh, well, I I mean, I ain't all like that. We start we can we can begin to justify how we thrive and how we go through our life, never really having to deal with a term that we don't use very often. Sin. And so one way in which sin is described is missing the mark. Proverbs 19, 2 is a is a clear example of it. And what it means is, is, is imagine a person that is that is shooting for a target with a bow and arrow. And as they shoot and they have the target in their sights, they turn and aim for a different target. Why? Because as as the marksman they think their choice of targets is better than what's laid before them. This is a, a an, an image of, of our spiritual grandparents, Adam and Eve. When they were in the garden delighting in what God had planned and provided, the many ways he had protected them. What took place was they said unto God, God, We know better than you. There's a fruit that you told us not to delight in. There's so much we get to delight in. But instead of listening to you, we will choose. Our own target. And so the idea is one of sin that that as God clearly lays out a purpose for you, a plan for you. And protection so that you can fulfill that plan. You and I choose a different plan. That's what sin is. That's one way sin is described. It's not you having to only, you know, well, I don't kill people. People sometimes give me these really extreme examples of what sin could be in order to minimize our sin. First off, 
It's just simply choosing your way instead of God's way. Sin. Another way that it is, it is a uh, community. You can look in Colossians 325 uh, as it just talks about living contrary to God's righteousness. That's still missing the mark. Both Proverbs 19, 2 and Colossians 325, but also ignorance. Ignorance is, is an example that is that is used in the Bible to describe sin. Uh, Ephesians 4.18 just talks about the hardening of hearts and our our willful disobedience. I've seen a, a, a lot, a lot of a lot of sinful ignorance take place in college. I see a lot of sinful ignorance take place when you go to the barbershop. I mean, you, you know, if a dude comes in with a brand new iPhone. And he's trying to sell it for 20 bucks. Come on now. But, but, what, but what do you do? You don't ask no questions. You don't you don't worry about where it came from. You choose to be ignorant for the sake of your selfish gain. You see that that's just a that's just a, a basically hood understanding of it. But we do things like that in in so many different aspects of life. Businesses don't ask questions so that they don't have to pay certain taxes. People do certain all types of ways in which we allow our ignorance to get us off the hook. But it doesn't with God. Mark, uh, uh, missing the mark is the way we describe sin. Ignorance is the way we describe sin. Accidental approaches. Yeah. Sometimes we do things on accident to hurt God and his heart and create sin. But it doesn't mean that we are void of the consequence. I, I don't know much about uh, the criminal justice system. I've learned a lot since my sister Edith has encouraged me to read a few good books. And uh, I've learned a lot from the stories of people that we've been able to walk with and care with, care for. But I don't know a lot about. You know, felony one, felony two, all those different things. I do know that there's a difference between like planning out murder and accidentally murdering someone. And uh, sadly, there are people who suffer the consequences of jail for accidents. Because just because it's an accident doesn't mean that you are free from consequence. See, sin can happen where you intentionally choose to do something different than God or you act like you don't want to know so that you don't have to be held accountable or when you truly make a mistake. But the gravity of your decision and the gravity of that mistake still breaks the heart of God. But then lastly, there are those crazies. Those those, those crazies. And, and I, I'm not saying y'all crazy. I'm saying us crazies in the sense of there are things that are just blasphemous towards God sin that that is a a, a a just straight up spit in the face of Jesus Christ one of the main ones is idolatry you can you can find God angry when he sees people worshiping things he has created period or fake gods 
that try to imitate him, but don't give him the majestic glory that he is due. As sad as I look at that in our community pretty often, uh, I shouldn't say pretty often, but a decent number of men are going towards a fake faith. One that celebrates men and speaks with great power, but its promises are empty. It's fake. You see how sin can can manifest itself in our lives. And the question is not necessarily um, how do I get out of this type of sin or that type of sin? The question really is, man, if that's only four and there's actually 11 ways the Bible describes sin, this must be something that seems to overwhelm us as people. And how do we deal with it? Not how much of it do I do? You do it. I do it. Sin is real. But Jesus didn't leave us drowning in our own sins. This Good Friday is deemed Good Friday because he does something about our sinful state. He does something about our position. I ask you of those four descriptions of of missing the mark, ignorance, accidents, and just straight blasphemy. Which description of sin do you see most often today in our world? So we come to a point where the question is, if we all do sin, then, hey, I should be able to just jump in and. And, and and save my save myself. Right, pastor, like I should be able to should should be able to go forward and just like like use 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 what? Use what? We had our brother Zacchaeus, who had one of the things that we seem to attain in life, one of those things that that we that we want to to pursue money. One of the things that folks will 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 let lead and guide their entire lives. And Zacchaeus is willing to let go of money. Which shows something beautiful. It shows that that one, you, you, you can't buy your way into the kingdom. Because Zacchaeus's role wasn't, hey, Jesus, let me give you this. Hook me up and get me into the kingdom. Zacchaeus's role was more of, wow. I have experienced this Jesus because I have, I need to make things right. And so his payment was not to get kingdom because he had the kingdom. He wanted to act in a responsive way. But, but, but what about us? How would you deal with sin? If sin is real, if God is loving, beautiful and holy, but yet sin is this thing that 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 communicates that you would rather choose your way over his way. If it is real and it is in our lives, how would you get rid of it? How would you what would you do with it? Nothing. Because we 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 we. We, we stank, we filthy, we dirty, we, 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 we can do nothing. If you are kind of on our live stream and you tuning in and uh, you 75 or older, this won't 
that, that I can't ask you this question in the same way because when because 75 years ago, the way they did stuff was a little bit different. But but for the younger folks, when you all go outside, the whole family is outside. Y'all playing and kicking it. Y'all doing y'all thing. Any bounce got the baseball cracking football going on. Basketball whole nine. You come in the house. The first sibling jumps in the bathtub, cleans up, takes a bath. They give out, get out, leave the dirty water. The next sibling comes to take a bath. What are they supposed to do? That's right. Get in the dirty water, right? They're supposed to get in the dirty water. And most of y'all are like, get in the dirty water. But see, that's, that's, that is like, that is the, the essence of man trying to solve their own sin problem. It's us being filthy, trying to use filthy remedies to bring forth cleanliness. You, you, it, it doesn't work like that. We need one who can make us clean. We need one who actually has the power to cleanse us. We need one who the Bible keeps pointing to. Last last Sunday, we we talked about uh, this 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 Jesus coming in on a on a donkey. And we talked about the beauty of prophecy and how prophecy is, is something where we declare what God has said. And sometimes it's a future thing, but most often has already said it right there in his word. And so we get to be prophetic when we declare his word. And so. The Bible is constantly trying to point you and I towards get ready. He's coming. You need a savior. You need someone to help you deal with sin. You need someone to help you be reconciled to God. You need, you need, you need, you need. You have so many needs. And guess what? They're all going to be met. in one man. So look for him. Look for him. Look for him. And that's why when we'll read in a minute some scriptures that talk about Jesus's experience, it's almost like you could just sit back with a with a notepad and just start checking off. Yep, that looks like him. Oh, that looks like him. Ooh, that looks like him. Man, they kept telling us, look for the Messiah. Everything they saying that he would be and that he would do, he's checking off the box. But not in the way that you or I would. If 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 I gave you four ways that the Bible describes sin, four of the 11. I want to give you. Kind of four ways and there's more, but four ways. That God. Handles our sin on the cross. First, he operates as our as our sacrifice. He operates as our as our sacrifice. There is a a a system of forgiveness that God had created. He said, I'm a holy God. When you act up and act crazy, you are sinning. I and my holiness cannot be in your filthy presence. That filthiness is not how I want to love and experience and delight in you. I want to delight in you in your pure state. So do something with that sinfulness or that filthiness or I'm going to have to handle it. I'm going to have to allow my 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 responses, my consequence, my wrath to to handle sinfulness. 
And so he creates a system. This system was one where you could bring forth something that would stand in your place. You could bring forth what's called a sacrifice, something that would take the punishment you were supposed to receive. Take that. And 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 now it's a it's it's losing. It's taking on the pain that you were supposed to. And so. Jesus comes. Not simply to perform a sacrificial rite, Because you and I, before Christ would have had to, every time we sin, come on, little lamb. Sacrifice. Every time we do wrong, sacrifice. Every time we hustle somebody, sacrifice. Every time we take and get over on people and choose not to shoot for the mark that Jesus has desired for us and pick our own every time, every, 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 every time. It sounds crazy, but that's the weight that would be upon our shoulders that we would constantly be having to say, how did I sin today? And what do I need to bring forth? So that I could be forgiven. But Jesus does something that's. That's that's that's. That puts us in a place. Of constant forgiveness. He offers himself as the sacrifice. Not that we would have to continually be coming back, but that Jesus is our sacrifice that takes place once and for all. I was uh, out a couple of weeks ago, or excuse me, actually my wife went out a couple of weeks ago during, um, as as the, the first earlier stages of uh, the COVID pandemic was, COVID pandemic was starting to build up. And uh, she said that they went into Costco and she was like, I just can't, I can't do it. Costco was just so packed. Costco and Sam's Club, those are all places that have a membership. And every year, in order for you to purchase in bulk, which people are doing during this se- doing during this season, for you to purchase in bulk every year, you got to pay them your membership. Pay them your membership. But every now and then, I come up on a membership place that says, here's the opportunity for a lifetime membership. Where you pay a bit more, but you never have to pay again. Jesus stands as the sacrifice that allows us to never have to think about sacrifices again because he already operated as the lamb for our behalf. The one who would bring the lamb in operated as the priest, but also as the lamb itself so that you and I would never have to worry about how our sin could be forgiven. So first he operates as our sacrifice. But second, he operates as this, this fancy word called uh propitiation. It's a, a word that just simply means to satisfy. So so now you imagine this. If you look around and you say, I need someone to go for me. Jesus says, I will go for you. I, I will be the sacrifice for you. 
But just because somebody used to bring a lamb into the temple doesn't mean that that it was pleasing to God. Some folks would bring they would try to hustle God. They bring in the lamb that had a bad leg and was limping, you know what I'm saying, all jacked up. They would try to, you know, grab a couple of doves that were sick. They would try to they wouldn't bring what God had asked for. And so their offering or their sacrifice was not pleasing in his sight. Just because you're willing to bring a sacrifice doesn't mean it meets his expectations. But Jesus does. You see, Jesus was willing to be our sacrifice, but the propitiation or the 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 uh, appeasement, the way that he comes to God, God says, I'm pleased. The father says the anger that I had towards sin is now calmed because you are an appropriate sacrifice. And so first Jesus is a sacrifice. Second, he's a sacrifice that satisfies the expectations of God. Third, he's our substitute. It's just that simple. You went to school. You partied every time you knew you had a sub. You got live because you knew it meant no work in school. You know what a substitute is. Substitute takes the place of someone else. Second Corinthians 521 says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I remember I uh, I, I have been blessed by a cousin of ours um, with a minivan and uh, we had just like sh- switched from that van to another van, got the hookup. And so um, every two weeks I start having this like air going down it's like slow leak in the tires and we're we're like trying to find out what's up i'm going to do the little five dollar thing where you know you take it they plug the hole whatever so i finally can't keep going to my boys just around the corner to get them to plug it i got to go to a real like shop shop so i take it to the shop i go in and i ask the guys hey take a look at my car an hour later i'm in they call me up and there's another guy right behind me now, when they call me up, they say, Mr. Stevenson, uh, what we found is that your tires are in. Eh, but what's really wrong is you have a crack in your rim. Now, for us to sell you one rim, we can do that. But your other three will be off because they've ridden. They, you know, you rolled those with the car and now you're going to try to bring on one new one. So it's going to be a little bit off balance. We don't suggest it. Maybe he was hustling me. I don't know. But he said, hey, we suggest you go ahead and just get a whole new set because you know you need at least one. Y'all, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I got to, I guess I got to bite this bullet. Like I'm preparing to spend $25. You're going to fix a little, little leak. Okay. Worst case scenario, I got a bad tire. I'm going to do 110. Now we up into, we not, we not at a thousand, but we up there. Cause I remember thinking, okay, this, this, this gonna, all right. Wasn't planning for this one. And while I'm standing there, a man comes up and says, uh, the guy who's right behind me, he says, um, no, excuse me. The, the person that I was working with, the tire guy says, this is the one I recommend. I think that it'll be the best for your vehicle and make sure you and your family are safe. The guy comes up next to me and says, 
hey, whatever he needs, put it on my tab. Whatever, whatever he's getting, he's getting all for. He needs some new tires to put it on my tab. I, I was in awe. I was shocked. Guy talks to me later. We sit down. He says, man, um, my dad was a pastor. And I'm I'm in town. I live in Cincinnati. I'm in town. But uh, we got by on the generosity of people. We didn't have much, but people would randomly do things to bless us and got us through. And so I felt the Lord tugging on my heart to bless you. That's one of the clearest pictures I have of substitution. Not necessarily of sin, but me being in a, in a situation where there was an amount that was due that I owed. There was an amount that I needed to pay. There was a, a new weight that was upon me. And this man stepped in and said, I got it. I got it. Family, this Jesus is saying to you, you can't handle your sin. The weight, the magnitude of that sin is far too great. Let me, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.22, let me make you righteous and let me stand in for you. Let me carry that weight. Let me pay that penalty. Let me be your substitute. This, this Jesus is, is our... He satisfies God's expectations, blesses us as the as a sacrifice. Operates as our substitute. Takes on the pain that we were supposed to. But lastly. Oh, no, I can't forget. So in that substitution, what, what makes it different than sacrifice is a sacrifice is one where I simply am watching something else take the pain for me. But in a substitute, there is a switch that happens. You see, Jesus not only takes our place, he also makes us righteous. Righteous. So now because I've been, you've conquered sin at the cross, I become a new man. That's why you see Zacchaeus respond in the way that he did. You experience Jesus. You become saved. One that was lost is now found. You don't operate the same way you used to. We now are righteous. Lastly. He reconciles us. He he brings us back to the loving relationship we had with God before sin entered the picture. That, that, that relationship where we want to be in the presence of the Father and delight in his ways. Where he looks at us and says, man, that's my daughter. That's my son there. That's my family operating as my church. That's my people. This is my bride. Like all of those things take place when Jesus dies for our sins and reconciles us to God. 
reconcile means a a, a, a reordering, a, a peace that takes place when we are brought back into the right relationship. It's, it's a making right of things. It's a, a beautiful unity that happens when, when God who loves us accepts Jesus's sacrifice. Accept Jesus's substitution for us. Accept Jesus's reconciliation. We are blessed when we acknowledge, whoa, the depths of our sin. If we can be honest, the Bible describes 11, but we can probably come up with 25 more ways to describe the craziness of how we don't do what God wants us to do. But then you get this God who not only is fully God, he's fully man and he comes into humanity and says, I got a plan. I got a purpose. I see them. I'm going to seek them out. I'm going to save them. I'm going to save them. So that's why this Friday is good. It's good in the midst of a sad situation. It's good because of what is accomplished. You and I have our sins forgiven. You and I are put into a new place. You and I become righteous. And so it's good that this took place the way it took place. None of us would have imagined. Yeah, the the prophets kept speaking about it. But you wouldn't wish the journey that Jesus went through. You wouldn't wish that on your enemy. And so the process that he takes to show his love for us so that we can be changed. So we can be made new so that we can become righteous. That process. It's a painful one. I want you to read with me in Matthew chapter 27. Read with me in Matthew chapter 27. Starting at verse 32. Because Jesus has has gone through some some crazy things leading up to this. Jesus has been. Beat down. Jesus has been. Mocked and ridiculed. Jesus has been. Innocent. Scriptures talk about his his innocence being this this blameless lamb and Pilate who is in charge of making sure that people get killed for the sake of embarrassment and utter humiliation by the use of a cross. Pilate looks at the people who's bringing charges against Jesus and he says to them, I find no wrong in this man. So the so the person who's in charge deems him innocent 
but yet feels the pressure of making sure that an innocent man dies because he does not want to lose his power. And so this Jesus. Who they begin to mock, right? They punch him. This Jesus who they begin to beat, right? They take whips that have cat claws on the end of them and lash them across his back and rip out flesh. This Jesus who they fake, mock, taunt as a king of kings. They they put together a, a crown made of thorns and said, perfect, just for you, king. Place these these two to three inch nails, two to three inch thorns in a crown and place it on his head. This is the road that Jesus took for our end, for our good, for our ability to become righteous. This was the vehicle that he would use to save us from our sins. Read with me in Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 32. And it's going to be a little bit long, but more important than any words I've said today are the words of of Jesus himself. Matthew 27, I mean, excuse me, Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 32. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Remember when I told you it's almost as if you could just take a checklist and begin to mark off all the prophecies that for thousands of years people have been saying this Messiah, when he comes, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Well, the place where he is crucified. Yep. Prophecy. What he would drink and not drink. Yep. Prophecy. Him being his his garments being divided. Check. Question is, like, like at some point, what's happening from the biblical writer's perspective is I'm going to give you an overwhelming amount of evidence to prove, to show that this man is the Messiah to where you're going to have to actually be so against believing truth that you should feel silly. So against one plus one equaling two that you should just feel feel foolish and so verse 36 then they sat down and kept watch over him there 37 and over his head they put the charge against him which read this is jesus the king of the jews then two robbers were crucified with him one on the right and one on the left and those who passed by derided him wagging their wagging their heads and saying You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from that cross. But it's because he was the son of God 
that he was on the cross. It's because he was God in flesh that he was on the cross because only God could conquer sin. Only someone that's fully man could understand the plight of man and be able to take on the weight of sin. Continue with me in verse 41. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. He's getting hit from all sides. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. This is like midday. Say somewhere between noon and three o'clock, this takes place. And somehow it's night. It's it's dark. And saying. uh, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lema. Sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a lot of uh, amazing debates about what all this encompasses. But each one I've actually found some some joy in uh, because what we do know is there's an intimate expression between Jesus and the Father and one that I like to to, to, to land on is that as Jesus is now on the cross, he gets a chance to experience an aspect of humanity that he had not prior, which is to have to have God be silent. And yet you trust that he is still good. Forsaken, but not abandoned. Silent, but not alone. And so what we have here is Jesus crying out to the father. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come save him. And don't miss this. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. If you if you if you a bad mama jamma. If if you as bouted as you say you are, if you got the power, if you the coldest in the world. Choose when you're going to die. Choose when you will die. You see, nobody had authority over Jesus. He looks at Pilate and says, Pilate, you you think I'm in these handcuffs because you got power? I could call down legions like that. Jesus shows us that he has the power to actually do something about our sin because he does not have his life taken from him. He gives it for our sake. 
You don't want to allow something that's a simple sentence to pass you up because what you'll do is diminish the power that Jesus exhibits even to his last breath. At his last breath, it was his decision to make it his last breath so it could be your first in new life. His last breath brought us a new righteousness. His last breath conquered sin. The sin of my willful disobedience, the accidents and foolish stuff I'll make up. And yes, the times when I just have done stuff that just was abhorrent to God. All of that covered when Jesus said. It's finished. He takes his last breath. I'm asking you. Two questions. Because depending on what camp you fall into, how you listen to this story, it, 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 there's a different response for you. You see, if you're a person that walks with Jesus, you might be a little bit more like Zacchaeus asking yourself, well, man. Like, like, how is how is my life impacted? Based on my experience with Jesus. Like in in what ways do I go above and beyond to make sure that that I'm living a righteous lifestyle? Not simply, how do I go repair all of my past stuff, which was cool to see Zacchaeus do. I praise the Lord that 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 was a great model. But also, am, am I just as bold in my living today? Would I take these steps that are counter to to my posture? It was it would be crazy for you to walk down and see a tax collector passing out money to people. All they do is take. So the question is, what are some ways that you could be courageous in demonstrating your love for Jesus? I'm not saying you need to run out every day and go tackle people and talk to them about Jesus. What I am saying is. Because he's been in your life and because you know him and because you've been in his presence. Is the change over? Did 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 it did it end when you got saved? Did it end at the revival that you were at a couple years ago? Did it end last Sunday when the sermon was preached? Or or is his making us righteous a new thing that we have to wrestle with daily and we continue to say, wow, I've been in his presence. My sins have been forgiven. And because of that, this is how I want to respond. But if you're someone that. That have not has not believed in sin. Or maybe you've diminished sin because you've got your reasons. I've been too busy. I'm trying to get this started. When I get this way, then I'll once I get some stuff in order, then I'll try to get back right with God. I think we we learned some valuable lessons from Zacchaeus as well. One. Take advantage of the opportunities you have to engage with Christ. As Christ is coming down the street, little Zach could have been like, man, you know what? I'll catch him on the next one. He 
runs, tries to get through, feels too small, jumps up on a tree to be able to see Jesus. My challenge to you is that you would not wait to seek him, but that you would pursue him now. He says he's seeking out you, you seeking out him. And new life can happen. What does that mean? It's simple. It is the acknowledgement that Jesus died for your sins. And that if you continue to live for yourself, if you continue to live as if you are God and you know best. Then you'll continue a life of sin in whatever way you want to describe it. But today can be your first day of saying, I no longer want to rule and live my own life. I want to aim for your target, God, and make you my goal. I want my life to reflect my love for you. If that's where you are, then we would love for you to walk with Jesus and celebrate him starting today. We will offer a, a couple of things um, as ways in which you can be uh, connected. If you have uh, accepted Christ, we would love to do two things. One, we would love to see you be cared for and enter into a local church body. We would love for it to be this church. But God is doing great things in churches all over our city and all over our nation. So, hey, if you tune in from somewhere else, we want to get you plugged in. But second, we want to pray for you. We want to pray. One, that that God would care for you, watch over you and protect you and that you would flourish in new life, flourish in righteousness. And so as this slide is going to come up, uh, we're going to have a time of prayer. And all you simply need to do is text 313-444-0036 and someone from our church family will pray with you. Be patient as we may have a number of calls. We will do our best to get to you tonight. I want to end with. With something. It was it was. uh, When I got my tires, they. um, there, There there was a. I had this guy next to me and he came up and said he'd pay for the tires. But I'm sorry, I was raised in an area called East Cleveland and you kind of don't believe something until somebody show you. So even though this dude was trying to bless me, I'm sitting there kind of like, mm. <laughs> let's see how this roll, you know, let's see how this go. Um, and so it, it, it was it was proof that this man said that he would, this man did what he said he would do. It's proof. When I went up to the counter, they gave me my keys and they gave me a receipt that says zero paid in full. I share that with you because if you are a person that's kind of searching right now or wondering if this God is even real, I ask you a simple question. What proof would there need to be? What would you need to see in your life? What would you need to be aware of or what proof would need to take place? That Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered sin 
for you. I'm going to share that proof with you this coming Sunday during Easter service. We would love to have you present and love to have you hear how, why we believe that the promise was fulfilled, that Jesus saved us from our sins. Join me in prayer. Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful that we get a chance to be here. We're grateful that you saved us from our sins. Our heart breaks when we think about the pain Jesus endured. But Lord, even through pain, we can rejoice. You you tell us and give us the example of a pregnant mother that goes through all types of of pains. But once the baby is born, it's as if she forgets those pains and delights in this new life. Father, would you allow us? To see and acknowledge and never forget what Jesus went through. But to know that it was all worth it so that we could be made righteous. And Lord, we pray that if someone wants to love you, that they would not let anything hinder them right now, but that they would accept you into their heart. Believe they've been forgiven, not because of the money they have, their ability to pay you anything like that. But Lord, because of your love for them being their sacrifice, appeasing the Lord, being their substitute, Father, standing in that gap and then placing us in a reconciled position with God. Thankful for you, Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. We're looking forward to celebrating the proof of you conquering sin this coming Sunday and Easter. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.